Hi, everyone. I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. This week on the show, I'm very excited as I have a special guest on, Carly Patrick. Now, Carly is an adult sleep coach and the author of the number one best-selling book, Mastering Your Sleep Puzzle, Your 12-Week Guide to Sleeping Better. Carly helps stressed out, tired people reclaim their sleep, energy, and enthusiasm for life. She blends her training as a nationally board certified health and wellness coach and therapeutically trained yoga teacher into a practical and flexible approach to help busy people improve their sleep for the long term. So in our interview today, we obviously chat about sleep. How can we improve it? Why is it so important? What are some of the changes that we can make to really make sure that we're getting a good night's sleep and keep it that way for the long term? So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's have a listen in. Hi, I'm Kate Boyle and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Carly, I'm so excited to have you on the show today to talk about sleep. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, I think this is, you know, one of those topics we all have to sleep. So, you know, getting improvements in our sleep is so important. But before we dive into sleep, can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. So my name is Callie Patrick. I am in the United States. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts area. And uh, I am an adult sleep and well-being coach. So I mostly coach stressed out, busy professionals and entrepreneurs in how to improve their sleep, oftentimes after lots of other remedies and uh, techniques have been tried and have failed, unfortunately. (laughs) So, And I do that because prior to becoming a health and well-being coach, I worked in high tech for 20 years. And so the busy corporate life is something that I know. Obviously, the entrepreneurial life is now something that I know. But I struggled with my own uh, my own stress, my own anxiety, my own insomnia, and had, like many people, done all the things I thought to help myself. And when none of them worked, um, I thought, well, maybe I'm just not a good sleeper. And maybe that's not something for me, right? I hear that a lot. And um, so I started to to really do some studies. And as I started study, studying yoga therapy and um, and health and well-being coaching, I discovered a different way forward for myself. And now that's the, the process that I found for myself. It's the same process that I use to help my clients. That doesn't mean that the way forward is always exactly the same. It just means we follow a general path. And then, you know, for everybody, it's a little bit different. Well, I think, you know, some of the best experts that come through have always had some experience in the field. Not everybody, but I do think it aids sometimes to your understanding of what people are going through. Absolutely. Now, can you share some of the benefits or, or why should we really be focusing on our sleep and why it is so important? Yes, there. Is, it seems to me there's a study that comes out every day that <laughs> links sleep to some either uh, medical condition, health condition, 
Or, you know, conversely, we can look at the positive and say, well, if I get really great sleep, maybe I can avoid some of that, uh, some of that pain, right? Sleep can be preventative. So I like to look at sleep as uh, benefiting the different areas of our health and well-being. So our physical health, our energy health, our, our brain and cognitive health, right? Our mental health and our moods and our emotions. And then basically our lives, right? How does that improvement in sleep or that refreshing feeling that we we want to feel in the morning, how does that send us out into the world and into our lives? So from from a physical perspective, there's a number there's a number of different um reasons why we want to sleep better. Um some things that are uh relevant in the moment might be our immune system function, right? We've been through a pandemic, I'm actually getting my COVID booster here again tomorrow. <laughs> so these things are still in existence, right? We have, we want to have a healthy immune system. And so sleeping well has a huge impact on that as, as one example. Um, from, from a cognitive perspective, it's a way to keep our mind sharp, both in the moment, right, in the next day, so that we can learn, we could be creative, we can be productive, but also long term, right? So as we age, sleep can be a preventative, uh, preventative medicine, essentially, for keeping our, our, our brains about us as we age. And then as we're seeing, I think more so lately in the world that many people are suffering with more uh, mental health concerns or we're, we're, we're being able to talk about it more. Um, but there is a, uh, a link between anxiety and depression and sleep deprivation, uh, especially when it comes to depression. And it's interesting because it's not sure there, people aren't generally sure which comes first mm. because they coincide so, so closely together. So it can be really interesting when one is feeling depressed to say, well, what is happening with sleep? Can we make a small improvement in sleep and see what happens in mood? Right. And then when all of those things obviously are all those areas of our, our system are functioning at a high level when we're refreshed, when we wake more often than not. Right. So that um, so that we, we really show up in our lives and, and do the things that we're meant to be doing, which is more than. Yeah. And. Do you know what I mean? I'm a huge advocate for sleep and I need my sleep. <laughs> I think more so maybe than some others. Are there some people that, you know, need more sleep and need, say, eight or nine hours and then some people that can, you know, function really well off six hours? So adults, typical adult uh, people will generally need between seven and nine hours of sleep a night. There, I have seen some evidence that women may need more toward the nine hour end of the spectrum. And that doesn't surprise me, even all that we do oftentimes. But, um, the, the folks who are in the lower end of the range, I do hear people say, well, I, I'm fine on four hours. I'm fine on six hours. Technically, that's defined as, as the short sleep and while they may not be aware of the impact it's having on them, it, it is having a negative impact on them. So it might not be something we feel immediately, but again, we're looking both for short-term short term, uh, 
functioning and long-term functioning. There's there's an interesting study that that showed that people who are functioning on short sleep actually make riskier decisions, mm. which I found really fascinating, but they're not aware that they're making a riskier decision. So again, these these are things that we can say, yes, we're fine. It doesn't affect us, but it, it is affecting us in the background. And sometimes we just don't understand if we have never slept longer or got really restorative deep sleep, how that could feel different and even better than where we are now. So um, I would still recommend, and most experts do, between seven and nine hours for all adults. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm in that category anyway. So tick for me, because I know if I get less than, say, seven, I can still function off, you know, six or so, but less than that, and I feel terrible. So um, I can definitely relate to, uh, you know, sometimes not having enough sleep and, you know, potentially not making amazing decisions. Now, with people that may be struggling with their sleep, where do you suggest that they start? Right. So. The first place I would, would well, it's, it's a little hard to give a blanket statement there, right? Because people have different uh, struggles with their sleep. Some people have trouble falling asleep at the onset, right? When they first try to go to sleep. Other people will wake up in the middle of the night and be unable to get back to sleep. And still others might wake too early in the morning. And not be getting enough sleep because they're waking too early. So we really want to look at, and, and all three can exist, unfortunately, as well, with different combinations. So we really want to look at um, what type of problem are they having and what might be some of the root causes of those challenges. And unfortunately, at least culturally here in the U.S., and I do see it in, in, in my clients in other countries, there are lots of remedies and many tools, uh, apps that track your sleep, gadgets that track your sleep, uh, supplements, things to ingest that are designed to fix the problem um, that often compound the problem. So. The, the best way for someone to approach a sleep problem is to really, I think, notice if they're being distracted by those things, first of all, because in all of my coaching experience and in my own personal experience, I have never seen any of those, uh, those quick fixes work. So to avoid the, the distraction and take a look at what is happening in the daytime, in the time between we wake up and when we go to sleep, that is either positively affecting the sleep experience or negatively affecting the sleep experience. Because the root causes are oftentimes how the person is showing up, how they're living in their daytime. Mm, interesting. So, well, I'm yeah, I can say I definitely agree. I already know I've got certain triggers that I have to avoid if I want a good night's sleep. <laughs> exactly. And some are very simple, right? Some are very easy to say, well, when I, um, for example, if, if I take a walk in the afternoon and I get some sunlight, well, and I get some exercise, I notice I sleep better at night, right? Sometimes the, the way to look at that is to say, well, that's a really easy correlation, right? You do a thing 
you notice how it affects your sleep, you pay attention. You say, does it move me in the direction that I want to go or does it not? And then is that a habit, right? And is it useful to maybe make that a habit versus some other uh, some other habit that might be a, a negative, right? That might be a drawback. Um, the main one being <laughs> on the phone at, at whatever hour, right? And noticing how that's impacting the ability to sleep or not. And so sometimes it's it's something to do more of. And other times there are things that we need to do less of. Mm. And so I like to focus on the positive. I like to look for the things where, oh, yes, I know that makes me feel good for so many reasons. So how do I start doing more of that to tip the scale almost from there's so many detractors and negatives that are impacting the sleep and creating a poor experience. And we can say, well, I'm not going to be on my phone, but is that really realistic for some folks? Maybe, maybe not. Let's amplify the positive behaviors and see, does it move things in the right direction? And if so, maybe, maybe one becomes inspired to make other changes. Mm. Well, I know even just touching on the phone, um, I don't know if it's a fairly new feature, but the phone has a sleep mode. So I've been putting it on that, which means you don't get any notifications coming through, no messages, no emails, no, you know, notifications. And that's been great because it just means in the evening, once I, you know, turn it on to that, it's silent and I'm not getting drawn back to the phone for whatever reason. So that, that has been helpful for me. I can uh, definitely say that. Yes, and it doesn't sound like you are tempted to go look. Uh, no, because I know that if I, like, that's a good boundary for me to have that I need to be able to switch off because if I don't, I will go to bed and my head will go, you know, I've got to reply to this person, I've got to do this tomorrow, and I'll just keep thinking about work and never fall asleep. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Sounds like you do have very good boundaries then. Well, I do try, but it has been something that I've had to put into place and experiment with, as you were sort of saying before. So, you know, originally I, you know, looked at say, you know, not drinking alcohol and, you know, cutting out caffeine. And then also for me, if I drink too much in the evening, I have to get up and go to the toilet multiple times. So looking at those basic things and then um, adopting blue light glasses, because I found that made a huge difference to my sleep, um, blocking out that blue light if you're watching TV or something. And then, yeah, moving to the sort of tech level and turning off the TV, you know, half an hour before bed and reading just a physical book and turning off the notifications on my phone. So I think it's been a process over time, but it definitely has really helped. Yes. And I think that's, that's a good point, right? That it is a process that you do some experimentation, you have an idea of what might be helping, what might not be helping, and you support yourself by making those changes, right? So by saying, oh, there's a sleep function on the phone, I'm going to use that, you're supporting your decision, right? That you're using the technology to enable you to to, to uh, hold yourself to that that choice. Yes. You, have, you felt the benefits of that. 
Yeah, 100%. I definitely have. Uh, Now, moving into sleep hygiene, I feel like we hear a lot about sleep hygiene, but we, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily know what that means. So can you explain a little bit about what sleep hygiene is? Yes. And I, I will caveat that by saying the way that I look at some of these sleep terms may be a little bit different than what some other uh, experts, how they look at it, right? So when I was working on my book and, and describing the different aspects of what would go into healthy sleep and what, what is, you know, what someone can do, the way that I define sleep hygiene is sort of the basic, most basic things a person needs to know about and actually do, right, actually follow through on in order to sleep well. That said, it's not the only thing that many people need to do, but it's it's the foundation like of your home, right? So the way that I describe it and look at it is that we have uh, routines that are bookends. So you have something you do in the morning. Everyone has a morning routine, whether they know it or not, whether it's it's, uh, conscious. And then have an evening routine and ones that are enjoyable, ones that hopefully um, move with the energy of the mind-body system, right? In the morning, going from low energy to increasing energy. In the evening, going from high energy down to low energy. And then also creating an environment that's inviting and supports your sleep, of course. but. In addition to that, again, I'm going to stress that these are morning and evening, but the daytime is a huge chunk in the middle. So what are the routines? What are the rhythms that are being followed? Does someone have regular access to light? Do they move on a regular basis? Do they eat and take in nourishment on a regular basis? or are these things intermittent? Maybe we skip meals, right? These are not just routines in the sense that they are a series of things that we do for ourselves, but they are on a cadence, right? So if you eat lunch around noontime every day, your mind and your body feel that beyond the food. You register that as a time of the day. And so having these rhythms throughout the day is super important. And I talk about that more in other chapters of the book, more about how our energy naturally ebbs and flows with these rhythms in in, in our body, in our system, in nature. And so the routines and the, the, the rituals that we have around bedtime and waking and these signposts throughout the day are more than just what we're doing. They are rhythm setters. And I don't know that that is um, very often understood. So they're they're just beneficial beyond what they are in and of themselves. Mm. So, yes, but does that, is there any correlation then with people that have these regular rhythms having better sleep or, you know, people that kind of, you know, I always say fly by the seat of their pants that like, you know, every day is completely different. And like you said, some days they have breakfast, some days they sleep in, you know, they really never know what their day is going to bring. Do they have a higher correlation with not sleeping very well? 
Well, I'm not sure about what the statistics and the correlation would be on that. My stance is if there's no problem with a schedule that is not not uh, consistent, if there's no problem with sleep, then there's no problem. Right? However, if someone is struggling with sleep, has struggled with sleep, and this is the situation, then it's a place where one can look and make some changes and see if whether that's going to, again, move them in the direction that they want to go or not. Mm. Interesting. And do you, are you a fan of having a regular sort of sleep-wake cycle of going to bed at a similar time and waking up at a similar time also? I am. I am a fan. Personally, I wake around six and I am always, always in bed by nine ten. And there is a reason for those specific times. Um, again, I, I think I mentioned I studied yoga therapy and, and that's another of the um, modalities that I bring into my coaching. And when we look at natural sleep and natural rhythm, it's very easy to sort of find those rough time windows where energy is naturally rising, energy is naturally falling. If we take out the technology and we take out the structures that we've put on ourselves, right? The sun rises, the birds start making noise. These are times when our, we will naturally wake, right? If we were not on the phones, if we were not overloaded with work, if we had good boundaries, most people will feel a lull, uh, a lower energy around 8 p.m., 7, 8 p.m. But we often go, oh, no, it's too early. Let me do something to wake myself back up. And we miss that really useful wave of energy that goes down. That if we listen to that, if we follow that, I think it would be a lot easier for many people to sleep naturally because that feeling is there. Yes. Well, I guess, you know, even our modern lifestyles probably aren't as conducive to that because most of the time people are working through till five, six, or even seven, and then they may have, you know, an activity afterwards that maybe it's going to the gym or running their kids around to sports. So, you know, most people probably don't start to wind down until that nine or 10 o'clock at night, which then will have issues with sleep. And you use the term, and I hear this all the time, I just want to point it out because I'm sure the, the people watching and listening will we'll recognize this. He said, wind down, right? This word, this phrase of, well, my bedtime routine or I wind down before bed, right? To look at how are we winding ourselves up so much during the daytime? There might be too many activities, right? There might be not enough space between things that we do because we're so interested in putting everything into the day so much and everything takes longer than we expect. <laughs> and sometimes it can be, there can be random things that happen that make getting something done, take twice as long, more challenging, right? You get a flat driving somewhere or things happen and we don't make space for that. And so the, 
most often thing that happens, I find, is that people go, 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 go all day. And it is. It's like we're winding ourselves up, right? There's no space. There's no rest. There's no pause. And it's all activity in a flurry until, oh, let me unwind before bed by, you know, a half an hour with a book or something like that. It's not enough to counter all that's happened during the day. And this is why sometimes that sleep hygiene, right? Well, I have a great bedtime routine. I do make time to unwind. Sometimes that's why it doesn't help or it doesn't have a significant impact because it, I, I, I joke and say it's like eating bad food all day and then going to the gym for a half an hour and saying, well, that's going to take care of all that. It, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, so, well, health, health doesn't work like that in general, does it either? <laughs> <laughs> right. Hi, everyone. You guys know how much I love Paleo Valley. Well, this January, they have a 20% off site-wide sale happening for the full month of January to celebrate the new year and helping you to support your health. Now, I myself take their vitamin C complex, their turmeric complex, their organ complex, as well as their protein powders, and I love them all. They're an ethical company. They do not add any fillers into their products, and they have the highest standards. So check out their sale by heading on over to the podcast show notes and grabbing that link. All right, let's get back to the podcast. So then, do you recommend that people take regular breaks throughout the day and maybe build in, you know, a breath practice or a yoga practice or something that can support them in and their nervous system to sort of, you know, drop into that parasympathetic state in that rest and digest state? Absolutely, 100%, exactly that. So, a lot of the the chronic sleep struggles that people have has been traced both in western uh science and eastern sort of yogic philosophies to this idea of being overstimulated, of having a nervous system that is out of balance in the direction of the stress response, right? So part of restoring that balance, bringing back or activating our parasympathetic, right? Bringing our rest and digest back online, essentially, is to be retraining ourselves through regular rest breaks. And yes, breathing practices can be great. Yoga can be great. Meditation can be fabulous. I like to do techniques and practices that multitask, right? That move the body, that bring the attention to where the mind is, how the breath is working, how we're showing up, and do that all together in short amounts of time. So one of my favorite practices that I often share with people uh, is a five-minute practice that they can do anywhere. They don't need a phone to lead them through how to do it, right? They don't have to have anything with them. They can do it sitting in the car waiting for the kids to, you know, come out. They can do it in bed when they cannot sleep. They can do it in the middle of the workday. Again, five minutes though, because I know I, I worked in a company. I didn't have any time between meetings. And that's part of why I left, to be honest. And that was over 10 years ago because I felt that stimulation in my system and it was very unpleasant. 
right? So we need to recover, to replenish, to take a step back at regular intervals during the daytime, for sure. Hmm. And I think, as you said, that if you're adding in or, you know, setting aside five minutes, that is much more doable for everybody, whether or not you're in a corporate environment or you're a mom at home with kids, you know, to be able to build that into your day rather than feeling like it needs to be half an hour or an hour. Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in it having to be a big length of time and we go, we just, I just don't have that time. And so we skip out on it essentially. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that goes to a deeper uh, idea that we often have that something has to be very difficult or it has to take a long period of time or we have to put a lot of effort in it to see a result. And rather, when we do a practice that restores that balance to our nervous system, whether that's a breath practice or a movement practice, we do it for five minutes. We do it five minutes every day, once a day even. That accumulates. That builds up in our system. It's it's back to this idea of how do we retrain ourselves to calm down, right? I hear from many people who lay in bed at night, whether that's first falling asleep or I woke up at 3 a.m. in the morning and I can't get back to sleep because my mind is doing this, right? Or my body is restless. Well, that's that energy. That's that stimulation. So the more that we can say well, let me bring that down. Let me use a technique that I do one thing every day. Then in those moments, when we turn to that technique, it has more power, right? Sometimes people will turn to a technique and say, well, I never do a breathing practice, but when I woke up in the middle of the night, I did my breathing practice and it didn't work. Well, there's no history there. There's no there's no remembering what that feels like. And it's harder to do when you're in a, a stressful situation, which being awake often is. So the more that one can practice in an environment during the day when things are um, not maybe as uh, hectic. And again, it's, it's a lot of it is setting boundaries, right? Saying I'm taking this five minutes. Mm. And from what my clients tell me, post-pandemic, that almost seems harder than ever at work because there's almost been, I think, a bit of a blurring of boundaries with people working from home. I know a lot of clients have said to me, oh, well, my boss is ringing me, you know, before I'm supposed to start work and after I'm supposed to start work and sort of saying, well, you're not commuting. So, you know, you've got this extra time and thinking that's okay to do that when it really is not. It's it's very challenging. I, I I have done some consulting since I've since I've left the corporate world, and it's often easier if anyone is starting a new position to set the boundaries right at the beginning, right? To say these are my hours to not reply, to not respond, to not engage outside of those boundaries, which is more with oneself than it is sometimes with the other person, right? And if one is in a situation where, well, there's a history, again, sometimes we train the other people in our lives to expect things of us because of how we've behaved in the past. But I have heard from many clients, um, often when I do corporate webinars, people will share stories 
And many times I hear that people say, well, I shut off my things at whatever time. And I've communicated that. And I tell people I'm doing that. And I do not go back. Even if I look, even if I look and see an email come in, I don't reply. Because then you're training that person to expect you to reply. So it is, it, it can be really hard. I mean, I've been in situations where I've been the only person in a meeting who walked out to take a break after five hours. But I did that and I said, well, okay, this is my choice, right? My choice is to stay here and continue to feel exhausted and depleted or to go out to get a glass of water, to do a little stretch and to come back. And if they don't like it, then, (laughs) and what happened, honestly, at the end of the day, I felt fine. And my boss said, wow, that was exhausting. I I need a pizza and a glass of scotch. (laughs) So this is what happens, right? That we get into these patterns of it's not okay to say, I need to step out for a moment. Mm. But I think, I think it takes a lot of it takes a lot of courage and it's it's a way to set an example for other people who probably want to do the same thing yeah uh, i think i think most people would but they almost feel the pressure that they can't and so yeah. they endure even though they shouldn't but i know one of my first jobs i had as a nutritionist part of the reason i left was because the culture or, you know, I was like working, my hours were set from 7.30 in the morning till 4 p.m. But I was specifically told by other workers that if I did not stay until at least 4.30 to 5 o'clock, the boss would look down on me because even though we were contracted to work till 4, you never left before 4.30 or 5. It just wasn't done under any circumstances. And, you know, after doing that for a period of time and, you know, getting to the point where you don't have any work at any, the end of the day and being told, well, you still have to be there, which is just so stupid. Um, part yeah. of the reason I left was that that reason being that, you know, it was this unspoken rule that just seemed a bit crazy, really. And it's, it's, it's interesting too. I find that what I'm hearing in your situation, which may or may not be true, is you heard from someone else that this is the case. and so. Obviously, we all want to to be to do a good job, right? We want to to be seen as being valuable. And the response, though, of well, I'm staying late, based on you know the the communication of the culture, but not a direct experience, right? No one said to you on your first day, well, you actually need to be here at this time. So the the fun thing about that, I think. As I said, there have been positions that I started that I said, I, I actually worked at a startup for a long period of time. Startups are notorious technology startups where people working constantly. And when I took that job, I said, I am in by eight. I am out by five. This is my schedule. When I signed and they said, oh, sure, sure. So I started, this was fully in the office at the time. and so. I did that and I stuck to that. People were still there when I left. And okay, well, that's their choice. No one ever said anything to me about doing it. 
So sometimes it can be the pressure we put on ourselves or what we think other people might be thinking of us. And of course, it depends on, it, it completely depends on the situation. And I'm only relaying one thing, but I think sometimes, and I do see this in a lot of people who are high achievers, you know, the type A personalities, the perfectionists, right? Okay. This, I heard this. And so I have to do everything I can to make sure that other people are fine with me. <laughs> and we sacrifice ourselves, right? In, in those cases. So, um, so yeah, I mean it's it's when I coach someone we really look at what are the what are the things that we can change and we question assumptions that we have. Hmm. And and we test things and say, well okay, well if I, you know, if I shut down my what what will happen if I shut down 15 minutes earlier than I am now or 5 minutes earlier. Whatever's comfortable, whatever's the 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 littlest thing we can do to start moving again in the right direction. Yeah. And I think that's important because it's small steps, testing it, seeing if it works, then potentially layering on something else, you know, after that as well. Yes. Now you just mentioned sleep coaching. What does sleep coaching involve? Because I know you know, as a mum, you know, there's sleep school for kids, you know, when you have newborns and things. But I find, you know, a few of my clients that have struggled with sleep, they don't know who to go to. You know, they end up at the doctor and the doctor, you know, says, have you tried meditation and maybe take this uh, medication or whatever. But there's not a lot of people to go to. So what does sleep coaching entail? Yes. And again, I'll caveat that my answer with how I approach sleep coaching may be different from other adult sleep coaches out there. So many times um, there, well, there are, there are a couple of non-pharmacological ways to deal with sleep challenges. One that's very uh, prevalent is uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia or CBTI. So that is more of a therapy um, psychological treatment for clinically diagnosed insomnia. I tend to work with people who are self-diagnosed insomniacs, many people who have what I'll call disordered sleeping as opposed to a sleep disorder. And so there are many similarities in the therapy approach and my sleep coaching approach. But what we essentially do is we look at what is the desired outcome? What is a person's, how does it, how does a person envision themselves when they are sleeping well? Right? Not, well, I want to sleep well. There is no motivation in that. Right? We want to find the deep reason why this is important. Because then when you're faced with a challenge, with a choice, right? Do I leave the meeting for a break to take care of myself? What motivates me enough to do that? What's more important than worrying about that, right? It's not, oh, I'm going to get a good sleep tonight. It's like I, I, am, I am there because I have seen my mother decline with dementia. I don't want that for my children. That can be a motivating factor, right? That's way stronger than saying I want to sleep better. So we really spend some time 
looking at the motivations and creating what will life be like when a person wakes feeling refreshed on a consistent basis. And then we, we create some, some reasonable goals that are longer term. And then we break that down into those very simple, uh, small steps that you mentioned, right? What's, what's something that I know I, I should be doing or I need to do? And we explore that for a time. So there is sort of this general, in, in my practice anyway, there's this general idea of health and wellness coaching and visions and values and goals and, 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 and that sort of thing. But what I also like to bring into my coaching practice is my background in yoga therapy and meditation and to use those tools specifically to address some of that dysregulation in the nervous system. And what's important about that, I think, is that, um, sure, a doctor can say, go meditate. Well, how many different styles of meditation are there? How many different ways to breathe are there? Even if you look up breathing practices for sleep or for stress uh, reduction, there are so many. And the way that a person is showing up um, and that technique may be mismatched. I hear this a lot. I tried this breathing practice. I got more anxious. I did this meditation. It didn't work. <laughs> and this is because, I, I mean, yoga and meditation are very are much more widely uh, known and used, and the breathing practices are part of that. Um, but I think what has been lost is the matching of the person's individual situation and nervous system constitution with the right technique for that. So that's part of what I do in the coaching program as well. When we meet the first six weeks or so, we try things. We try movements. We try breathing practice. We learn, well, how does that affect your system? Do you feel calmer? Do you feel more energized? Because sometimes using those techniques can be an energy boost. If we're feeling sluggish, right? It's not all about sedation. Um, and it's also about increasing a person's mindfulness about what is helping and hurting during the daytime. So meditation has such a powerful influence on the whole sleep picture and the whole life picture. So we work together and I give all my clients a movement and breathing practice, which often includes the meditation. And again, it's not this hour long commitment unless someone is interested in doing that. And even in that case, let's, let's not, let's not go there, right? 16 minutes max, maybe, right? And build it and see how it starts to influence. But there is, um, so I think what's, what's different about my coaching is that I'm putting those two things together and it's really aligning with the individual person. So we're working on lifestyle, but we're also addressing some of that overstimulation, that nervous system, un the underlying nervous system issues at the same time. Mm. 
So the the big key really is that individualization, whether or not, you know, because everybody has a different lifestyle, a different workplace or non-workplace. They might not be working a different wake sleep cycle. So just like any area of health, it really does need to be individualized. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. Now, for people, you know, you often hear that some people say that they love waking up in the morning, they're an early bird, and then you hear other people say that they're a night owl. You know, is there, you know, when it comes to sleep, do these different, you know, circadian rhythms exist? And should we be, if you have a job, for example, that requires you to get up early, but you know that you're someone that tends to want to stay up later and sleep in, Is it best to try to find, you know, try to align with your circadian rhythm or can you change it and train yourself to wake up earlier and enjoy that? This is a common question that I get. And I will say for, I would say, I'm estimating obviously, but I would say about 50% of the self-described night owls are not really night owls apart from the fact that they've trained themselves and they have a preference, right? It is not a natural part of their rhythm. It is habit, which can be very strong. It is preference, which can be obviously very strong. Um, But several times I have worked with people who wanted to move their time because of their work, et cetera, slightly earlier and we've done that and what they tell me is yes I feel that dip in my energy 7 8 p.m whatever it is and I used to just ignore that but they start to become more sensitive to it and more tuned into it and once they feel that they go oh it is there I've just been pushing past it the way we often push past anything that that feels wrong, right? But it is a natural uh, feeling that they have. So I put about half half the time, it's it's a training. It's I wasn't aware that I felt that way because I've been pushing it away for so long that I just didn't even notice. Now, the the other uh, side of that are people who, you know, legitimately have a different uh, sleep preference. Uh, Some will say that that's a built-in mechanism. Um, I still have a hard time believing that to be true. Um, But for those, you know, diehards who feel that, no, I can't go to sleep until whatever time, then, you know, then we have to look at, well, can we move the wake time to make sure that we're getting at least seven hours? Um, it also matters how much interruption is happening in the night, of course. And then if it's, if it's a work related, uh, schedule that cannot be changed, then how do you maybe move the workload around so that it matches the energy of what you have? For example, I'm also a morning person. Um, and I do more of my thinking, my creative work, my speaking, ideally, in the morning. 
by 3 p.m. by 4 p.m. meetings. Easy, check off the list kind of work. Nothing that requires a lot of brain power, right? Or errands, right? Chores. So if there's no way to really change the sleep schedule, one can think about, okay, well, how long does it take me to really wake up? And can I swap around some tasks that take advantage of when my brain power, when my energy is at its highest? Sometimes we don't have the ability to do that, but I do think that with more people working in flexible environments or working at home part of the time, right, there's more choice there than sometimes we take advantage of. Mm. Oh, I think that's a really good point that if it is hard to change potentially your hours with work, then swapping around something you can control, you know, with what tasks you do is a really good point to make. And I know I'm someone that, you know, I'm a bit like you, I'm really switched on in the morning. I feel I can get, you know, my most productive work done. And then the afternoon, you know, especially into the evening, I always say to my husband, like, I'm done. He'll try to talk to me about physics, you know, at 7 or 8 p.m. at night. And I'm like, nope, like my brain is shut off for the evening. It needs to be like really easy, low key stuff. So I know I'm someone that can definitely relate to that as well. Yes. And I I noticed it in myself too. I mean, it's nearly 6 p.m. here in the evening. So the way I show up in a podcast is different than the way I show up. If it was your time, right, that it was much earlier, I would find, I would find my, how I show up would be different in this context. Um, mm. Hopefully it's still, hopefully it's still coherent, but yes, by usually by, you know, for, uh, okay, work is done. We're on to planning the next day, which can be considered work, right? To get everything ready for the next day to feel settled, to feel like you can close out this day and taking that time to plan and do some things or reply to some quick emails. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's helpful to really align what you're doing with the energy that you have. Yeah. 100% and, and again, agree. questioning the assumption, questioning the, the, the ideas that we have around our sleep. We didn't talk much about mindset and how we, how we think and how we talk about our sleep. But I do hear people have certain ways of describing and, and talking about their energy and their sleep. I, I had a person the other day at a, a book fair say to me, well, I want to sleep till seven. And I said, and he wakes up at six and I said, well, what, what, what is important to you about waking at seven? Well, I don't know. My wife is asleep till seven. I, I want to sleep till seven for what? <laughs> there's, there's just that, you know, sort of stubborn idea one gets in the head that, that this would be better, that this would be correct. This person had no trouble with sleep, right? Just. Oh, but I see, and it's like, okay, well, is it, is it the comfort? Is it the, you know, the, the taking, taking that, you know, snuggly time to yourself when everything is warm and it's quiet and nice, right? What is, what is the underlying reason behind that? Sometimes it's just, well, I have this idea that that's the time on the clock that it should be when I wake up. Mm. 
Well, I think you make a good point because I think a lot of people would probably be uh, wanting to align with their spouses, especially when their schedules line up maybe, you know, towards retirement and stuff. They would be like, well, yeah, they sleep until this, so I want to sleep into that so that we align and we don't wake each other up. Well, that, and that brings in a whole other, you know, uh, topic of conversation, which is sleeping in the same bed with a partner, which can be can be great and can be comforting and can be challenging for many people. Mm. Which we could probably do a whole nother podcast on. Let's <laughs> sort of say that. <laughs> Now, before we wrap up, I always love to ask my guests if there is one piece of advice that you could give to our listeners that they could go off and instigate straight away after listening to this podcast, what would it be? So one of the, the fun questions that I ask when I do corporate webinars is we talk, I ask the question, if you wake up at three in the morning, have you ever woken up at three in the morning or around there and said, what what's wrong with me? What's going on? Why am I up? And yes. and had had the thought of well tomorrow is going to be awful because I'm awake now, right? My day tomorrow and the next day it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. Whatever it is. And then, but we we never say to ourselves at three in the afternoon, what have I done today so far that is supportive of my sleep? So back to the way we started this podcast is to look at the daytime as the flip side of the nighttime. And so just asking that question, you can set a little timer on your phone at three in the afternoon to say, huh, I wonder how I'm going to sleep tonight. How has what I've done so far prepared me for my sleep tonight or set me up for the need to unwind? <laughs> and can I do something now to support myself tonight because it doesn't exist in isolation. So having the afternoon check-in with yourself, especially if there's a problem at night, to, to start to see, well, what can I do now in this moment as opposed to wait until I wake up in the middle of the night feeling frustrated. Well, I think that's a really good point. And like you said, we uh, seem to be so driven throughout the day to uh, focus on work. But if we really want to make sleep our priority, then we need to change our priorities and our focus and think about that more to set ourselves up for a good night's sleep. Yes, we need to include it the way we think about, did I eat lunch? Did I, did I, go, did I get some exercise today? Yeah. Did I, did I take a rest break? I wholeheartedly agree for sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Carly, and sharing so much about sleep. I know I've learned a lot and listeners will have as well. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.